0: hey everybody welcome to the midterm review uh the midterm review uh gave you a copy in class on tuesday it's also on e-class if you prefer the digital version so you can find it in a number of ways um just like all my reviews these are the topics from the question so <clears throat> you can be assured that there's going to be a Federalist versus Anti Federalist question on the test. Um, Thomas Jefferson Declaration of Independence and Enlightenment Ideas. There's going to be one of those questions uh, on the test. So <clears throat> I don't try and mess around with you. Don't try and put extra stuff on there. If it's on here, there's going to be uh, a question. So I'm going to do this in two parts I'm going to do uh, the 1 through 17 for this uh, podcast, and then I'll do 18 through 34. Uh, so you don't have to listen to the whole thing, uh, especially if you feel like, hey I'm I feel pretty good about the, the underpinnings. you know this is stuff that you should be familiar with to an extent because a lot of it is US history stuff. Um, or if you feel good about the the stuff that we did in units two and three, you don't have to listen to, to all that if you feel good about it. So uh, anyways, let's get rolling here. So the first one is Thomas Jefferson. Declaration of Independence and the Enlightened Ideas. So, you know, the bottom line here, and most of you are going to be familiar with this, Jefferson writes the Declaration of Independence, and he takes a lot of stuff from the enlightened thinkers, you know, specifically Locke, and a little bit uh, from Montesquieu with the separation of power. So, um, if you can remember the natural rights, you know, he puts those in, there's, in there, the right to life, liberty, and According to Jefferson, Pursuit of Happiness, Uh, Locke did say property, but it did get changed. Uh, You should be pretty good for that series of questions. I think there's a, if I remember correctly, there's a passage from the Declaration of Independence, and then it asks you a couple questions about that stuff there. Number two is the same kind of format, James Madison, Fed 51. So there is a passage from Fed 51 that you'll need to read and interpret. Uh, The overarching theme of Fed 51 is separation of powers. A lot of, a lot of stuff about that. Remember, the whole Federalist Paper series was written to try and get support for the, the Constitution, because as much as we you know, kind of revere the Constitution today, uh, there's a lot of issues with it back then uh, on whether people were actually going to sign this thing and actually institute it. So the Federalist Papers were written. Fed 51 addressed the specific concern about the power of the government. Remember, there was a big concern back then about the government, about an individual, or about just all these branches becoming too powerful. And so uh, there was that fear that, well, this government, it takes away power from the states. And when we could see a a king, a monarchy, just like we had with Britain, um, come back. And so Fed 51 is written to try and calm some of those fears that people had about the large, powerful government. And so Madison is going to write about how, hey, each branch is going to have specific powers, and the other branches are going to be able to check each of those branches. So um, that's the, the big thing about Fed 51. Uh, number three, ways the Constitution can change. So this question is specifically about informal ways, and the big way that it happens is to uh, the, the judicial branch, uh, taking a look at stuff and with the Supreme Court and their rulings. Alrighty. So the, the judicial interpretation of some of these things is the number one answer. Uh, that's always going to happen. Basically when the courts make a decision, when the Supreme Court makes a decision, excuse me, that sets policy for the entire country. In class, I used the example of Brown versus board. We can look at any number of cases though, where policy has been created or set because of a Supreme Court decision. Roe versus Wade made it to where abortions were legal. Uh, The Texas versus Johnson case, we'll talk about later, made it to where people can burn the flag. It sets policy. So it doesn't officially change the Constitution, but it does change the Constitution to an extent. Number four, the Constitutional Convention compromises. So I didn't go over this in class because it's something that I think y'all are pretty familiar with. Uh, The two big ones are the Great Compromise and the Three-Fifths, okay? Both of them deal with representation and the slavery issue. Uh, The Great Compromise, um, I guess, doesn't deal too much specifically with slavery, although it does lead into the Three-Fifths Compromise because it does, whatever. Uh, So Great Compromise, remember, this is the combination of the Virginia Plan and the New Jersey Plan. Virginia Plan called for um, a one-house legislature based on on population. Uh, The New Jersey plan called for a one-house legislature based on uh, equality. So they eventually combined these into the Great Compromise, where now we have a House of Representatives based on the state's population. So the bigger you are, the more people you have in the House, and then a Senate where you have uh, an equal number, where every state has two. Okay. Uh, That gets to the three-fifths compromise, because now all of a sudden population It was going to be important regardless, but now population is important because, hey, this determines how many people you get in the House of Representatives. Plus, it also is going to determine how much you pay in taxes. So the South wants to have their slave population count for representation, but not count against their taxes. All right. The North wanted the opposite. They wanted the slave population in the South to count for taxes, but not for the representation purposes. And that's why the three-fifths compromise was created. Uh, to appease both sides there, and um, so that was those two compromises. There's also the Commerce Compromise, which isn't on here. Uh, It's not on the midterm anyways. Um, No, that's the one that dealt with with the slavery and the importation of slaves, and just uh, the federal government controlling imports altogether. Um, Basically, the South was fearful that they would shut off the the importation of slaves, Um, and also, you know, they would affect some of the the trade at the South did because they were pretty heavy, heavily reliant um, on trade with other countries. And so uh, the, the what comes out of the Commerce Compromise is that the federal government won't really mess with with importation too much for 20 years. Uh, let's see. Rights every human has a right to. That is those natural rights, uh, life, liberty and pursuit of happiness. Uh, and that's something we still value today. It's something that's still big and important. You know, you get due process. Uh, basically the government cannot take away your right, your natural rights, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness without giving you all those four through eight amendments uh, with no unlawful search of seizure, right to lawyer, and you know, all those things that come with it. If they're going to take the stuff away from you, they're going to put you in jail for 10, 15, 20 years or for life or whatever it might be. They are going to take away your right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness by putting put you in there they got to give you all these options uh, and all that due process stuff. Uh, Federalists versus Anti-Federalists, uh, another thing you all should be pretty familiar with. The Federalists, remember, they're the ones that wanted the big, strong national central government. Uh, they wanted the states to be weak versus the Anti-Federalists who were happy with the Articles of Confederation and wanted the, the states to remain strong and to have a, a pretty weak central government. Um, So that's the big difference between the two, uh, Federalists versus Anti-Federalists. Obviously, the Federalists went out after the Anti-Federalists relent when the Federalists agreed to write a Bill of Rights to the Constitution, or add a Bill of Rights to the Constitution. All right, Republic versus Democracy. So we live in a republic. Don't forget that. Uh, It's pretty much a representative democracy, and the two terms go hand in hand today. But just remember, you know, a republic is basically the fact that we as citizens don't rule ourselves. We elect people. We elect representatives to govern for us to make decisions on policies and laws and stuff like that. Um, you know, a participatory democracy might work in a small town, a small city. You know, think back to the you know, colonial self-rule days when the small towns of about a hundred people, maybe less, would come together and meet and make decisions and things like that. That works because there's only a couple of people. Versus today, there's no way for you know the the county of Gwinnett to have a participatory democracy because there's too many people. Anyways, the Republic is just the fact that we are going to vote for people uh, that are going to represent us. Okay. The democracy part is basically just how we pick our people. That's the fact that we go out and vote and things like that. So um, anyways, there's that. All right. Number eight, separation of powers. What is each branch responsible for? So we're going to do the branches next. We'll start that on Monday, uh, the 14th. But, um, the executive branch enforces, the legislative branch, rights, laws, and the judicial branch interprets, judges, whatever you going to call it, okay? Um, all right, the First Amendment freedoms, and they give examples from court cases. So that should give you a, a, a warning, trigger you that, hey, the question is going to be about a court case, all right? Uh, so we're going to take out the right to assembly. We're going to take take out the right to petition. We're going to take out <coughs> the freedom of press. Uh, And we're just going to concentrate and kind of narrow it down to freedom of religion and freedom of speech. Um, The freedom of speech, the big case that you're going to need to know for the test is Texas versus Johnson. And that's the one that set up the fact that you can burn the flag as a part of your freedom of speech slash symbolic slash political speech. So you can burn the flag and it's considered freedom of speech. Okay, the other two are further down the um, list. Number thirty-one: Wisconsin versus Yoder and Engel versus Vitale. So I'll go into more detail about them. But just Wisconsin, that was the free exercise case where the Amish would to take their kids out of school, and uh, the court ruled that their free exercise calls, free exercise rights were being, uh, you know, taken away by the, the state law. And then Engel versus Vitale is the uh, prayer school case. Okay. So remember those three cases. Uh, I'll go into more detail about the Wisconsin and the Engel case uh, with the next podcast. Uh, The Articles of Confederation and its ratification. So it took a lot to ratify this thing. Uh, And then if you want to make any kind of change, you had to have unanimous support. So 13 out of 13 states had to to agree to any kind of change to the the Articles of Confederation. So very difficult uh, and just one of the weaknesses of this document then the, the structure of the government under the articles. So remember, there was a weak Congress, there was no president, there was no judges, or uh, no federal judges anyways. Um, so it was just, it was pretty, pretty rough. Uh, you know, they couldn't do anything, uh, because the fact there was no figurehead, the fact that Congress could not tax, Congress could not call a the military, uh, they just couldn't do what they needed to do to run a country. Uh, it'd be like, you know, a CEO of a company with no power nor authority to get the workers, the employees to, to do what they need to do. Um, and that's pretty much what was happening. And, and the employees were running the, the company just like um, I said that in reverse. The states were running the, the the show just like if the employees were running the show of the business. So, um, Anyways, that's that. Uh, the amendment process, going to try and keep it as simple as possible. You've got the fact that Congress approves so they will create and then approve it at the congressional slash national level. Uh, a two-thirds vote is needed by the full Congress to approve of, of, of a amendment. And then it goes to the states for ratification. And you need three-fourths of the states to ratify it. Federal grants? Uh, so remember, the, the states kind of do their own thing. And the federal government wants them to do what the federal government wants them to do. But how does the federal government get the states to do what they want them to do? It's do money. And so the the federal grants uh, is that option. Uh, The two big ones you need to know are categorical and block grants, categorical grants. Remember, those are the ones that come with strings attached where, okay, states, if you do this, you get this money. And the states line up to get it done most of the time. And then block grants, there's a little freedom, okay? Uh, States still have to do what the the federal government says and wants them to do, but um, they have a little more freedom with how they run the programs or whatever it might be. Welfare is a great example of this. It's a federally funded program but states get to do what they want with it. So they can run it how they want to. That's why uh, welfare kind of varies from place to place from state to state. U.S. versus Lopez and an older case. Sorry, I have to do this during my planning period, and that is during lunch periods. And so the bell rings. Okay, so the Lopez case, first off, the Lopez case itself. Uh, this is a commerce clause case, all right, uh, because the federal government used the commerce clause to kind of sneak into the, the high school world here and charge Lopez. So what happened here was Lopez, as a senior, brought a gun to school. There was no gun gun free school zones. Uh, and both state and federal laws were in place to, to stop guns from coming on campus. So, Lopez brings the gun to school. He is caught, and he is charged by the state. All right, so the state charges him. The federal government swoops in, and is like, we're going to get involved, too. We want to charge him at the federal level for breaking the Gun-Free School Zone Act. And uh, so they bring charges against him, and they cite the Commerce Clause, the fact that the schools do something with, I don't know exactly what they said, interstate commerce of some sort with the, with the schools, they're going to come in and charge them. So Lopez is going to fight that decision. He, this is why it's U.S. versus Lopez, because Lopez is arguing that the federal government should not be charging him. He doesn't want to face the federal, you know, charges, federal prison, probably harsher sentence versus the state. So that's the, the goal there in this case is to avoid the federal charges. So uh, the Supreme Court hears the case and they agree with Lopez in that the federal government has overstepped. The federal government cannot get involved in these school settings here because the schools don't deal with interstate commerce like they're claiming. And so uh, the bottom line for Lopez, the Lopez case, is the fact that it was a blow to the federal government and their powers because they'd used the commerce clause to get involved here and now they're being told it doesn't work and you got to step back and so the the state ended up having to charge them now the case that you're going to have to compare it to is gibbons versus ogden it's a low level question i'm pretty much telling you the answer right now that is gibbons versus ogden uh, this was the steamboat case from back in the 1800s, early 1800s, where both Gibbons and Ogden got charters from their respective states, New York and New Jersey, to be the only steamboat operators on the Hudson River. They got out there and they argued about it. Eventually, they're going to they go to court over it. And the Supreme Court's can say, well, you know what? Neither New York nor New Jersey has the right to do that according to this document, the Constitution. The only people that can do that is the federal government uh, and Congress. So that was that. Uh, Let's see, 15, Article 6 of the Constitution, that is the Supremacy Clause, so remember that the uh, Constitution and federal laws are supreme, although the federal government does sometimes look the other way. Uh, Full faith and credit, privileges, immunities, and extradition. Full faith and credit just means that the states are going to honor each other's court decisions, documents, uh, licenses, and things like that. And I've told you over and over again that I'm an example of this, I got married in Florida, Back in 2001, I think it was, um, and we moved up here. Didn't have to get remarried up here. Georgia just recognized the fact that I got married down in Florida. Got divorced from her in up here in Georgia in like 2004 or so. Not a long marriage. Don't get married young. Take nothing else from this podcast. Take that. Don't get married too young. Uh, so we got divorced. I didn't have to go back to Florida to do anything. Florida just recognized the divorce because it was a Georgia court and all that kind of stuff. Got remarried here, here in Georgia. Don't have to go anywhere else to get married. It's just recognized. So states are going to recognize each other's stuff. Privileges and immunities. Um, that is the fact that you're going to be treated the same from state to state. You're going to have all the rights uh, that citizens have in one state to the next. Okay. If you go to Florida, if you go to Texas, if you go to California, wherever you go for spring break in a couple of weeks, uh, you will have the same rights there as a citizen as you would if you were a citizen of the state. And then extradition, <clears throat> you uh, commit crimes in multiple states. You will potentially be sent back to, uh, you, you're not going to escape charges. So you commit crimes in Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, uh, and Louisiana. Uh, they're going to talk and they're going to work it out, and you'll be sent back to, to the states to face charges and, 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 and whatnot. That's extradition. Finally, federal mandates, uh, these are times when the federal government wants to make you as a state do things. Sometimes they fund them, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they give you just a little bit of money as a state. But they are directives from the federal government to do things that they want. So I told you about No Child Left Behind in class. <clears throat> uh, that was in the early 2000s where schools had to meet certain numbers If they didn't. They had to provide all kinds of services for their students no funding from the, the federal government. Just get it done. All right. Uh, ADA, Americans with Disabilities Act. That was another one that the, uh, the, the states had to follow up on. They had to retrofit all their state buildings with handicap access because of ADA, Americans with Disabilities Act. All right, guys. So that is the first half of the review. I'll do the other half in a separate podcast so that if you don't have to listen to a 40-minute you know, thing if you don't want to. Uh, as always, let me know if you have questions, concerns, whatever it might be. Uh, through Remind, through email, through social media, whatever you want to do to contact me, <clears throat> uh, go ahead and send me a note. If I'm in school, obviously ask me questions there. I am on call all week for jury duty. So uh, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, I have to call in and uh, find out if I have to report back to the jury pool on Wednesday. So we'll have to wait and see. Uh, anyways, guys, let me know if I can help you with anything and I'll see you in class when I see you in class. Later, guys.